Welcome to Practice Freedom. What if you could hang out with owners and founders from all sorts of healthcare private practices, having rich conversations about their successes and their failures, and then take an insight or two to inspire your own growth? Each week on Practice Freedom, we take an in-depth look at how to get the most out of both the clinical side and the business side of the practice, get the most out of your people, and most of all, how to live the healthy life that you deserve. I'm Mark Henderson Leary. I'm a business coach and an entrepreneurial operating system implementer. I have a passion that everyone should feel in control of their life. And so what I do is I help you get control of your business. Part of how I do that is by letting you listen in on these conversations in order to make the biggest impact in your practice and ultimately live your best life. Let's get started. Welcome back to Practice Freedom. It's me, Mark. And you can hear it in my voice. I'm getting over a cold. It's been a, it's been a crazy week, but we're putting that behind me. So great conversation with Dr. Mike Neal. I think you're going to love it if you are, well, I don't know, maybe you'll hate it. <laughs> Not that I think about it. What Mike talks about is as an OD, starting a, an optometry practice and running an optometry practice that was high volume, is high volume, the challenges with culture and hiring and all the stuff that most people have experienced, just like the fear and problems and fires and overcoming that through process and a, and a great hiring strategy and system and tools that he built through a separate company that he calls Build My Team at buildmyteam.com. So running a high volume optometry practice and buildmyteam.com, separate entities there. But we talk about lots of things, not the least of which is the mindset we use to think about hiring and how to change that. We unpack the process that he uses and here's where I say you might hate it because it might not feel doable to you. And it might not be, you might need to reach out to help or maybe his organization or somebody does something similar that might be a possible outcome, but maybe not. Maybe it's something you want to pursue and at least applying some of the principles that we talk about how you handle the high volume because you got to create the high volume of interest and you got to sort through that if you're going to find the diamonds in the rough. That's a principle we talk about at some, at some length there. And so working through that, and then I think one of the biggest questions you're wondering is whether or not standing in a bathtub for a virtual interview is a good idea or not. And we answer that question. So you'll want to hang out for that for sure. So are we going to talk about the current job market a little bit about how it's a little different in the mindset of the, the applicant? And I think that's insightful, understanding like if you're really going to do good recruiting, you put yourself in the shoes of the person who's applying and, and who the best candidate is. Anyway, it's very insightful. And so hopefully it doesn't make you feel overwhelmed that you're way far off. Hopefully you'll find yourself inspired that you can figure out, you can realize that some of the things you're doing are wrong. So I think you'll really enjoy it. Before I unleash... Mike, Neil, just wanted to remind you, please don't stay stuck. If you're imagining this great culture, this great practice that you love, that you feel everybody wants to be a part of or be a patient of or participate in, and you're just not there yet, you don't know where to start, please don't stay stuck. Please reach out, get some time with me, practicefreedom.com slash schedule, and we can talk about what a first step could look like for you and your organization. But with that, please check out Dr. Mike Neal. Well, good morning, Michael. How are you, sir? Good morning, Mark. I'm doing terrific. How about yourself? I'm great and really looking forward to digging into this conversation because you and I have a lot of passion around 
well, a lot of things entrepreneurial, but particularly getting the right people in, into an organization. So how did this start for you? What, what was the, what was the, the impetus for getting passionate about hiring right people? Desperation, you know, necessity is a mother of invention. Uh, it was that for me. I'm in private practice in Northeastern Pennsylvania. It's a rural area where we don't have a talent pool of people. We have a talent puddle. And before COVID, it was a couple inches deep, maybe six inches, we'll call it. Now it's about half an inch. It is incredibly challenging. What caused me to, to do a deep dive into this was quite simply that we were on the ultimate revolving door for hiring. It was one person after another. We were hiring wrong. We had every conceivable managerial problem associated with that, even through embezzlement, you name it. There's really not a problem I've seen that can occur in a private practice that uh, we didn't face. And I was in executive coaching at the time, trying to figure out a way out of this and ended up noticing that the, the coaching company, a company called Strategic Coach, had okay, cool. incredible people working with it. So you work with, ended you, up, you've been in coach? I was in coach. Okay. Yeah, not anymore, not but anymore? I was in okay. coach. And they're a fantastic organization. They ended up taking a look at how they're doing their hiring, looked at how other companies like the Four Seasons even Disney, how they're doing their hiring. And what I noticed is that we were doing it the exact opposite way that they were. And so, you know, when you do something upside down, you got to expect kind of upside down results. And that's what ended up happening to our practice. So I guess, you know, setting the stage on this a little bit, I work with a lot of, a lot of clients in a lot of different industries and a whole lot in healthcare. And it, easily the number one common thread that unifies the, the healthcare organizations is getting people that we can't, we can't get enough of the right people. You know, wages right. are going up, expectations are going up, quality is going down. These, these kids, these people, they, there's a, and I think part of this issue, particularly in healthcare is the sort of the stratification, the feeling like we've got doctors, lower level licensed, higher level, non-licensed and lower yeah. level entry level, non-licensed and there's like this social stratification of, you know, some people make lots of money and some people make no money. And it's just like, it feels impossible to like, we're working with just the worst of the, of the raw materials to try to make this, this thing work. Did you have that feeling that, or how, what was no. your mindset of like what you were trying to figure out? Uh, no, I, so I don't subscribe to that, that approach. And I think that's been quite beneficial for me. What what my issue was at the time was that we were hiring people. My wife was in charge of the hiring and she's an outstanding doctor. She is empathetic like crazy. And it was used against her time after time after time again by the candidates that she was bringing in. And what I mean by that is on the doctor side of things, we try and fix people. We try and make people better. We try and help people. That type of approach in a hiring a role ah. is disastrous. Yeah. Okay. You see where I'm going yeah, with this? Yeah, it's absolutely disastrous. Oh, yeah. Categorically it. yep. disastrous. <laughs> Somebody gets, you know, they have a resume, they're having all kinds of struggles in life. They're sitting in front of you and all you want to do is help them. Well, look, I, I bless your heart that you're one of those people. The world needs more people like that, but you can't hire folks. You got to get out of the way. The reason being is that they're going to take advantage of you knowingly or unknowingly. They're going to tell you whatever you need to hear in an interview because they're desperate. They will do anything they can to get a, a better role for themselves, for their family, etc. What you're not doing in that particular scenario is you're not hiring a high performer. Now, of course, we can all say there's exceptions to that. But 
So, so, um, that, so the mindset, what, I want to keep pushing on this, and I want you to really cut through this. But I can't hire higher performers at that age and at this amount of money. High performers are more expensive and have more degrees and are, and are working at some other organization. Like, I don't have those in the pool. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no. I couldn't disagree with you more. I'd love more, you that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> more strongly than that. Yeah. So, so how did we get, we get through this? And the, the way that we solved this problem is, first of all, expand the pool. Okay. And I'm going to refer to my company, build my team. I'm not doing that in terms of any type of sales advertorial or otherwise. I'm going to describe to you and to your listeners how we solve the problem, because that's all I care about is my, this was, this was created to solve my problem, Mike Neal's hiring problem in my optometry practice. It was never intended to be more than that. The, re, the way that we did that is instead of publishing the one job board, we published the 22 different job boards. We have to cast the widest possible net to get a gazillion people to apply because those high performers are few and far between. You need a gazillion people to apply or you're not going to get the, the folks that you want. The, the second thing is, um, do they need to be paid more? Do they need all those things that you just said? The answer is no. What what um, been able to find is uh, we created a, a process. These are systems and processes that will cast the widest possible net. You know, this is a 50,000 foot overview gets as many people to apply as possible and then rejects almost all of them. Our rejection <laughs> rate, depending on the position is over 95%. Okay. So you remember when I said that we're hiring upside down, the traditional way of, of hiring, of course, is uh, post the job, get a bunch of applicants, hopefully, and then you bring them in for interviews and you select the one you think would work best. Okay, that's terrific. The way Disney, the way the Four Seasons, uh, the way they're doing their hiring is they post the position, they get a gazillion applicants because they're those companies, and then they run them through assessments. They do not go anywhere near an interview or, or resumes at all. They're running them through an assessment process which is specifically designed to find the A players and determine their natural strengths and talents. So when a person in one of those roles gets to the interview process, they already know that the person can do the job. It's not a question of if they can do the job. They already know that. What they're determining is if they're a right fit for the culture, the, the company itself. And so when we were doing the hiring by moving straight to the resume phase, it was only going to produce mediocre results. Anything better than that would be sheer dumb luck. And that's what we would occasionally get is sheer dumb luck. We'd get ourselves a great person. And then that person would have to carry damn near the entire practice because they were the only one who was an A player in the, in the building. And we see this with practice over and over and over again. The new approach will routinely, and this is, this is demonstrable across the United States and Canada, routinely find those A players. And what I mean by an A player is they, they show up for work every day with the natural strengths and talents that you need for that particular position. And how, do, how does that happen? Well, they're selected for that based upon the assessments and we know what they're naturally uh, good at. So by doing that, you get A players on your team. They're not coming to, and this is, is going to really frustrate some of your listeners, they're not coming to the table with experience, okay? 
in our model, and this is what was so counterintuitive, like a, a mental 180 on mindset, the experience that they bring almost always comes with more money because they have experience. It comes with guaranteed a gazillion bad habits and also guaranteed stuff that has to be undone in order to move forward. Well, contrast that with somebody who doesn't have experience, who has natural strengths and talents, learns super quickly because we, we know because we test for that. And now all of a sudden they're in a role where they can learn the role really quickly, but you don't have to undo anything. You don't have to hammer away at trying to peel an onion back over and over and over again in order to get anywhere. They just show up, they do their job. They're generally not from healthcare. So they, I'll say this respectfully, we do not have to deal with the prima donnas and the, uh, you're lucky to have me folks and the entitlement. We don't have to deal with any of that. So that's just a general overview of how we've been able to, to address that particular issue. So this really speaks to the grow our own people, like find the right people with the right aptitude. And we're going to train them in our way. A couple of things immediately come to mind. First of all, how does this apply to the more significant senior skills like management and leadership? And, you know, it strictly, this strictly applies to unlicensed. So what's the breadth and the scope of, of where this applies? Well, in eye care in particular, some opticians are licensed, some aren't. So there's mm-hmm. a little bit of gray area there, depending on the state. However, we have, I mean, I'm not talking about this academically. I'm living this. Yesterday, I saw patients from from proverbial dusk till dawn in a Pennsylvania snowstorm, and all of our team showed up. They performed incredibly well. The, The week before that, our practice lost power. The whole building went out, if you can believe that. I mean, and still we were able to perform. So these are folks who just aren't rattled by uh, a little bit of, of difference in terms of what their average day looks like. And I, I think the, you know, one of the biggest things that, that I can get across to, to folks is this problem is solvable. I've solved it in our own practice as best as a human issue can be solved and it's repeatable, but, and here's the big, but it requires a massive mindset difference. And what's the, what is that? What's the difference? First of all, Experience is more often a red flag than not. Second, if you're hiring via resumes and not using an assessment process, you will continue to get the same results you're used to getting. Those are the two big shifts. So you're really having to change the mindset to become expert in seeing into the makeup of the individual, like who they are regardless of what they have have done and, and what they're even doing right now. Yeah, because in an interview, so I'll give you an example. On the doctor side of things, let's say the doc is doing the interviewing in a practice. You have somebody come in for an interview. You've got a document in front of you that they created. So they're telling you how wonderful they are. They're going to sit in that interview. They're going to tell you whatever you need to hear. As I mentioned earlier, they will almost certainly be a deer in the headlights or some version of that because they're talking to the all-powerful doctor. And the chances of you actually finding out much about this person are minimal. Now, of course, there are exceptions to that. Terrific. But they're, they're essentially minimal. So here's a, an example I love to use for iDocs. Let's say you walk into the exam room and you got a patient in your chair and you ask them, hey, what's your prescription? You know, what's your, your, your subjective refraction, to use the technical term? Mm-hmm. And they look at you and they tell you what it is. And you're like, okay, great. That sounds good. 
and off you go. Well, we would never dream of doing that, right? What I just described to you is a resume. Yeah. All right. Okay. So they just told you what the prescription is the same way that they're telling you how wonderful they are on a resume. And, you know, I doc wise, we'd never dream of it. We're going to use a foropter and we're going to measure well in, in the build my team process, we measure the strengths and talents of what the person uh, brings to the table. It's all measurable. There's an entire industry called psychometrics, which does exactly this. And up until I started build my team, well, a little bit prior to that, I never heard of this, such a thing. We're not talking about the disc profile. We're not talking about anything like that. It's far more in depth and involved, but it's incredibly predictable. So as I said, we reject almost, depending on the position, between 97 to 95% of people. That's how... So give me some actual examples of, of, of positions. So just by name, you know, what are, the, what are these positions? Yeah, sure. How, how junior, how so, senior... Medical secretary, front desk type position, technicians, opticians, billers, practice managers. Um, so practice managers. So, mm -hmm. and, and, and tell me, yep. tell me like, what's the most senior type of position you, you've regularly, you know, like just practice manager, even more significant than that, finance leaders, like what, what are we, what, give me some examples there and. And well, I'll give you an example, of course, Frank Tuffy, he's our, he runs both Build My Team and he also runs our practice. He's not the practice manager. He oversees both companies yeah. for me and he came in through the Build My Team process. Okay. So I guess, you know, he's equivalent of well, the chief operating officer. So, you know, I guess he would be the most senior example I can think of just off the top of my head. I'm sure there are others. No, but it's that's a great example. I love that. that. So up to my mind. Did, did resume not enter, enter your thoughts in that process? Well, surprisingly, it was the exact opposite. I saw his resume and immediately disqualified him. Really? <laughs> he comes from approximately 30 years in banking, working for a, a massive banking conglomerate. And I saw that and I said, oh, this is egg all over my face. Boy, you're calling me on this one, aren't you, Mark? But <laughs> I saw this and I said, there's no way I want to work with a banker. <laughs> well, was I I'd be, dead? I'd be right there with you, by dead. the way, on judgment. <laughs> I, I was dead. Dead wrong. Could not have been more wrong. My team said, uh, uh you gotta take a look. And I'm like, no. I said, no. <laughs> Third time was the charm. They got me to look as part of the build my team process. At the end of the assessments, we do a video interview, a recorded video interview. And they, they made me watch the video interview. And at the end of it, I thought, okay, well, yeah, maybe there's a chance. <laughs> I still was, I went in with all of the the headstrong ridiculousness. So we went out for dinner, ended up hitting it off and he joined build my team. And very quickly after that, I took a fellow who had zero experience in healthcare. I'm, I'm telling you, like he'd probably been to the doctor a handful of times in his life. <laughs> and he started running our practice. Now, why did I do that? Yeah. Because he had the natural strengths and talents as an operations executive to be able to walk into a business immediately figure out what makes it tick and make it tick a lot better. So we went from uh, reasonably well run to Swiss watch and our net income shows that all the way. What was the ramp up from like day one to you got, I got the wheel. We got this. Well, so he gets the credit, um, but he also replaced uh, most of the team. Okay. Yeah. So he replaced most of the team through using the build my team process. So we, we took the low performers and replaced them. And this is something that most docs don't do. You know, they don't take mediocrity and, and try and improve. They take the really low performers and that's 
we can all agree those folks aren't working in the right job for themselves. It doesn't mean they're a bad person, but they're just not working in their strengths. And so he replaced those and then started to replace the mediocre people. Yeah. And next thing you know, we have a, a team full of A and B players. We don't have a C player on the team. And But before that, you'd had a lot, right? A lot of Cs. C, we had an A, Cs, and Ds. <laughs> did, and at the time, did that feel normal? Or did you... Did you? So oh, I guess what I'm trying to speak to is yeah. the, the scenario I see yep. in in legal, especially, but definitely in healthcare, is a an acceptance of the norm of this absolute mediocre would be wonderful if we could get it that high. <laughs> it's, it's like we have toxicity as the norm, and I'm like, if you could just see what it would look like if you had healthy leadership and healthy people, it would be another planet for you. And they just they don't have they ever experience it. So they're like you're saying it could be better. I'm like, oh my god, was that you? How you were feeling at the time? Well, there's that that old quote that the you know the man at the bottom of the mountain doesn't know what it looks like at the top, yeah, right? Yeah. I say man because that's what the quote was, but it could be you know, <laughs> yeah. any person. And that was where I was. I had no idea that a practice could do as well as it could in net income wise when the team runs it. Well, why would it work better when the team runs it? I'm the almighty doctor. It should work better when I run it. And I was I was dead wrong. Yeah, I mean, just dead wrong. So from from that standpoint. It's hard for, you know, you asked me one of those things that has to change in order for this to work. You need a leap of faith, not a big one, a pretty tiny one, but you need to have that leap of faith that you can bring in the team one by one and create the folks. You know, the, the old adage is getting the, the right people on the bus. Well, we didn't even have a bus. We had an old beat up minivan that barely started when yeah. <laughs> type of thing. I mean, this is ridiculous. We had the wrong people in the minivan that barely started and it was driving in five different directions. It was, it was ridiculous, you know, from a managerial standpoint, it was only, we could only go up, but now we have people, the right people on the bus in the right seats on the bus. And that is an underappreciated, massive improvement. They're all moving in the right direction. You know, they're, it's working, it's working extremely well, but started out as an absolute, you know, four letter word show. If you will. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's the thing that draws me to healthcare or one of the things is that it's so normally normalized, so bad and the path to good is so proven. And so the, it's kind of the good, the reason I love it is, is that like I can get you to the, to the promised land because it, it's not that it's yeah. not, it's not some hidden secret. It's not, it's not like it's some really impossible journey. It's been done millions of times before. And, uh, but it is interesting that it, there's still like a, a leap of faith that there is so much cultural bias towards, we hire these people who are yeah. of this caliber and of this mindset, cause that's what everybody does. And, and it, and, you, and they get passed around the industry and, and it's sort of like, it's, it's self-fulfilling in that sense. And we have to kind of so the hard part is like, come on, we got to, we really got to get into the different pool. Like the problem is you've been swimming in the wrong pool. It's going to be a lot better when you, when we change pools, it's like, but we all swim in this pool. It's like, no, no, the pool, I promise you, this pool is great. <laughs> Lots of great people in there. I swim in it yeah. all the time. You're going to love it. <laughs> so, Well, I, you know, exactly. And the thing is you take a look at, at what's an average practice in eye care net, right? We're all really super concerned about the gross income. Oh, I have a million dollar practice. Well, congratulations. You got a million dollar practice. You're netting 120,000 bucks a year. I, 
I'm unfortunately here to tell you, you don't have a business. You just bought yourself a job, right? And that's awful. I'm sorry to tell you that. Now, here's the great news. Your million dollar practice uh, could be producing 350,000 a year for you without a whole heck of a lot of changing in your practice, other than some mindset shift and bringing on the right team members. If you're, if, and I know that, I know that based upon experience throughout the country, there are some practices where that might be 400 to 450,000 on a million. And you say, that's not possible. Well, that is categorically completely possible if you run it differently. And, you know, if, if you're on video, take a look at the background that I've got. We've got to think about things differently on the, on the screen here. And th- that's kind of why that's up there is without thinking about things differently, you're going to continue to get the same results that you have been in the past. And if, if you're comfy with that, totally cool. But my guess is you're not listening to practice freedom because you want the uh, same results as you've had in the past. Yeah, for sure. So does this, how does this apply outside of optical? We have eight different healthcare professions that we're currently working in. And, you know, we think as optometrists, our practices are unique. Well, yes, sure they are. However, the structure of a private practice in America is almost identical from one private practice to another. So if it's optometry, you've got a front desk person or people, you've got technicians, you may have a scribe, you've got a biller, um, You've got, well, maybe not a biller, but somebody who's in charge of your money. You've got a bookkeeper. You've got all those different optician. You've got all those different positions. If you're an ophthalmologist, you don't have an optician necessarily. Some do. You can have more technicians, but the structure is similar. Chiropractic, you're not going to necessarily have technicians. There'll be chiro assistants. If you have, we just filled a position uh, yesterday for a chiropractor. Uh, I don't remember where they're at, but audiologists, dermatology, plastics, general medicine, obviously dentistry, that's huge for us as well. All of these different positions. And like in dentistry, they'll have a dental assistant, which is similar to eye care's technician. Uh, They're almost always unlicensed positions. They bring on a great person and they train them. So I I totally agree. And it makes sense. The question, what do you tell, you're helping people get the unlicensed people in the door, which is massively important for sure. Do you see people struggling with the license side? And what do you tell them? Yes. So there are a couple positions that we will help with, but the thing with build my team, and I, I can't stress this enough. We don't work with a client unless we believe that there is an outstanding chance of us actually doing what we say we're going to do and help them in the manner we say we're going to do it. So this happens. I had this conversation with Frank yesterday. There's a practice group, a large group that wants us to, to come on board and basically handle the, the hiring for this, this large, it's not a group, it's an organization. And what I ask them is, are we, is our team being completely candid about this? Is our team very careful about which practices we're going to work with? Because as you know, and what you do, there are some practices where Improving team members is not going to make much of a difference because they've got a problem at the top. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I say that respectfully, but we're, I don't want anything to do with that. I, I would much rather say no, 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 and perhaps refer them to, to some specialists who could help the, you know, the, the practice owner with some development before they get to that point. So it's generally the, the owner's 
or the practice managers that would cause us to, to not work with a practice. And then sometimes, of course, like we're not hiring ODs. We don't, we have some referral partners that we work with there. Okay. And I got news for you. Hiring an OD is exceptionally difficult throughout the country. We haven't seen a single area where that's, where that's easy. That's, you know, it's a real challenge for growth for practices, but for the most part, well, as far as the unlicensed positions, that's straightforward. Each of the positions has a different algorithm, if you will. I'm not talking about mathematical numbers or anything like that, but what makes a person fantastic in that position? And we have software that is looking for those different people based upon the strengths and talents for those different positions. So that's how we do it. Okay. Yeah. And so it sounds like, you know, that's one of the, I think, notable attributes of healthcare is the stratification. We've got partners, we've got associates, we've got, yeah. you know, the other licensed mid-levels and then all the rest of the the non-licensed and each of those depending on your market your size you know your industry your your have may have a totally different set of challenges and so it gets very complicated to have a truly simplified strong recruitment strategy and that's one of the things again that this brought me to healthcare is like i can work with a company and say like well we got to recruit better we got to get the culture locked in core values are great let's make sure we test hard for core values let's test hard for the clear role expectations do they get it do they want it do they have the capacity to do it but then it's like you, you give that sort of mandate to, you know, a plumbing company and they're like, okay, great. You know, we'll just run more ads and like, oh, look so much better. And, yeah. but in healthcare, it's like, well, how do I apply that at the front desk? And cause it's a totally different thing when I apply it to a nurse versus a director of nursing versus an associate yeah. physician of some kind or a partner of a physician. And these are all different sources, all different people involved. And so you, it, it's very complicated and very, therefore very expensive to, to get each of those figured out. And it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, the way that the process for our practice works and what was extrapolated through Build My Team is we take a look at this as a, as a system and as a process, okay? So this, the, it's just one process layered on top of another. Um, so the first thing that we did was we created a mindset measurement of what makes a a terrific healthcare employee, a team member. And so we, we created this and we measure it. So we want to make sure that they, they have that mindset as a team member before they, it's the first thing we test. So our team member, our team will write the job description. We post it to the 22 different job boards and then all these applicants come in. And by the way, it's all done via text. I forgot to mention okay. that. So this um, seems like a good time to that. I, I kind of I've kind of interrupted the the process flow. So this is a good time to just walk us through that process, and I'll try not to interrupt you. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the first thing is if you're doing your hiring in a private practice, you know, hospital setting might be different, but in a private practice, if you're doing it via email, you have to stop immediately. And there's a couple of reasons why. This is now done via text. The candidates that are applying, they can apply for a job about every five seconds using the, the big job boards. By the time they get your email, they do not have the faintest clue who you are. They will not remember applying for your job. They're going to apply because you have to keep in mind, they're not applying at your eye care practice only. They're applying for the category. So they're applying at your eye care practice, the dentist down the road, the chiropractor who's a couple doors down from you. They're they're applying at all these different places and they might apply for 50 different jobs, a hundred different jobs in an evening. That's how easy it is to apply for the jobs. 
Wow. Okay. These job boards are kind of created for the ease of applying. It's just like Amazon with their, their prime. I mean, they make it so easy to order something. It's ridiculous. Same with the job boards. So by the time they've applied, they forget uh, very rapidly who you are. And we, we have a system that the, the applicant's phone will buzz with a text message within five seconds of them applying for the job. And we found out that 10 seconds was too long. Wow. <laughs> Honest to God. It's that brutal. So uh, through, our, through our testing, we found that out. So they, there's a link that's sent to them. They click the link and they run through this assessment process. And it's all done on their phone. It's super easy and it's fast. So like I said, the first thing we're measuring is their mindset. We want to know if they're reliable, if they have honesty and integrity, if they help, have a helpful heart. That's what we call it. If they have initiative, grateful and appreciative, if they're a team player, results focused, accountable, things like that. And one of the biggest things is do they have entitlement? Most of the people listening to this are pretty, pretty upset with the concept of entitlement, especially nowadays. I, for one, am anaphylactically allergic to entitlement. I break out in hives anytime I'm around it. It's ridiculous. So we're measuring all that stuff. And there are thresholds that they have to meet before they can move forward. So imagine a great, big, enormous funnel, okay? We're pouring all the people into the top of the funnel. And the first thing that happens is that a lot of people just flat out don't move forward in the, the process because they choose not to, to start the assessments. Hmm. So that's about 25% of people. And you think, well, boy, that's kind of a failure. Total backwards. Those 25% of people will be 100% wasting your time. They're not going anywhere. They have no interest in your, your position. So we immediately remove the 25% that don't start the assessment process. And then from there, we do the, the mindset assessment, which I told you about. And if they don't pass that, then they're gently exited out of our process. Next thing we do is we measure their speed of learning. And the speed of learning is critical because, um, you know, anybody who's done hiring, boy, oh boy, you can, there's a sweet spot. If they have that ability to learn insanely quickly, they're not staying in your practice. Healthcare is not challenging enough for them. They're gone. You'll bring them in, they'll do an amazing job. And then two months later, they're bored to tears and off they go. On the other hand, if um, their best performance, their best cognitive performance is weighed in terms of boat anchor, well, then you got a problem because those folks are learning the same thing Tuesday that they learn Monday. And by Wednesday, they will... They're, they're not getting any better. They're just always stuck in the mud. So there's that sweet spot. We make sure that they learn in that sweet spot. And that's when they move on to the next level. So from there, we're testing all kinds of different things. Like, are they warm and friendly with patients? Can they follow procedures and, and policies consistently? Can they handle details and paperwork? How about routine? You know, do they like extended routine? Are they bored by it? Well, that's a problem if they're bored by it because healthcare is a lot of the same thing over and over. What's their follow-up like? How do they make decisions? You know, imagine on the doctor side of things for a second, you're talking to somebody in an interview. How much of this information do you get out of the interview? I mean, I would argue none. Right, right. They'll tell you whatever you want to hear, but they're not going to tell you... um, whether or not they have uh, incomplete follow-up or strong follow-up, but it's a requirement in healthcare, right? So for example, um, we're all, uh, we have technicians and you tell a technician you want something done. Now, do you pull out a notepad out of your pocket, write down the, the task to make sure and check later that it was done? No, 
you expect the technician to, to complete it. And if they have any problems, they come back to you. So we've already measured that. And that's how we know that they're going to be able to do a great job of it. We're also measuring things like what motivates them. From a managerial standpoint, we know how to work with them. Do they prefer recognition for themselves or for the team? Then we take a look at their, their working environment because in order for them to stay and be successful with your practice long-term, we got to know if that they're actually going to enjoy this working environment. So how do you communicate with them in a working environment? Is it quick communication? You know, do you talk like pretty quickly like I'm doing right now? Or do you, do you have to speak quite a bit slower because they don't process information quite as fast? Well, which is it? You know, when I'm walking down the hallway in between patients, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell a technician a verbal essay. It's going to be really machine gun like, and they have to be able to keep up with me on that because I'm off to the next patient. So another thing we're looking at is, do they work best in a scheduled environment or they can, can they handle interruptions? Think about in terms of the operations of the practice, you've got your front desk. Now, would would that be a scheduled environment without interruptions? <laughs> Full stop, brakes on, of course not. You know, you get an interruption every measured in uh, single digit seconds yeah. in that role, right? Do they need any control in their job? Do they prefer to work alone or need to interact with others? Well, and you think in terms of a, a continuum. So if they prefer to work alone, what's a terrific job in a practice for a person like that? Billing, great. They're working by themselves most of the day or bookkeeping. If they prefer to work alone, should you be parking them at your front desk? Absolutely not. How about stress? We, this, is, this is huge. We measure their capability to handle stress. And I think post-COVID, if, if I had to pick one thing that causes people to quit their role, other than the boss, because it's almost always their boss or manager, it's stress. If they're in an extremely stressful position and they can't handle stress, going to work every day for them, regardless of anything else I've mentioned, is grueling and extremely difficult. So we're, you know, that's again what another thing we measure. We're also, this is a nuts and bolts thing, but we're also looking for some what we call knockout questions. And what I mean by that is we're looking for things like how far away are they from the practice? Okay. So this is something that can be implemented immediately by, by listeners. When you're talking to candidates, you have to find out how many miles there are away from your practice. Yeah. Like in a rural area like ours, 10 miles is nothing. But if you're 10 miles away in Manhattan, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, you're going to be driving by a thousand different places where they can, you know, make uh, a buck or two an hour more. So the reason we ask that is that the position will not, the candidate will not succeed in that position if they're too far away. And that varies for each practice. And the owners know what that, what that is. Other things we ask are what, like, what type of hourly income are you looking for? So let's say the position's offering 17 bucks an hour and they want 25. Yeah, not going to work. That's a huge gap. If they want 14 and you're offering 17, then I would suggest you offer them 15 bucks it's a huge win for them out of the gate. Give them a path to get to 17. You come out ahead and you get somebody who's immediately grateful and it doesn't cost you much of anything. We're looking for things like why'd they leave their previous employer? If they were hired, when would they be able to start? That's often huge because a lot of practices aren't given two weeks notice. Um, are they planning on living in the area for a long time? And then something that's really overlooked. Uh, I'll read this verbatim. 
our office is typically open the following days. So we list the days and hours for our clients. Are there any days or times you are unable to work? Okay. Okay. Boy, what a boring question. Like, why is this guy rattling on about this question? Well, here's why. So we find Susie or James for a medical secretary position. They have a young kid, which we don't know because we can't ask about that legally. And they have Mm. babysitting problems. Now, they're all set to tell you whatever you need to hear in that interview to get the job. And then you find out that they can't work Thursdays from 10 to 2 p.m., middle of your day because they have babysitting switcheroo problems. How jammed up is your practice all of a sudden? Yeah. Well, the, the answer is it's ridiculous. That's a, you know, a bit of an exaggeration. And yet anybody who's been doing hiring for any length of time listening to this is going to crack up laughing because they've heard a million things way worse than that. What we're doing is simply finding out, is this person able to perform in your practice or is your practice going to have to make all kinds of concessions to get them to, to be able to perform in the, in the role? Well, if you have to make concessions, we move on to the next person. That's it in a nutshell. And that's what this entire process is designed to do. At the end of that massive funnel, we have candidates that we know can do the job who are terrific at the role and meet all the criteria to be set up for success in your practice. At that point, we send them to the next step of the process, which is the video interview I mentioned earlier. It's a one-way video interview, so it's not done by a human. They're given questions Mm. to answer and they record themselves. And it's all done via phone, super easy. And then once they're done that, our team reviews the video interview. And by the way, about 90... 95% of people that are sent a video interview link to do complete it. It's almost 100% complete that. We're only 5% short. Yep. So you think in terms of number of people who show up at a practice for an interview, it's it's (laughs) disastrously low and we're batting 5% less than perfect. And by the way, I also forgot to mention 27% of people who start the assessments score well enough to move on. So we get quite a few people going to the video interview process, and then our team reviews the video interviews, rejects the people that we don't think would be a good fit for the practice. So the the reason I mention that is you get these assessments and people say, well, how would you know, like, how would the assessments be enough? And the answer is they are. However, in reality, we have to introduce a check step to it. And that's the video interview. We don't care what they look like. We don't care if they're male or female. None of that stuff matters. It doesn't matter if they're purple, pink, or green. That's completely irrelevant. Our team is looking for how they're answering the questions. And I'll give you a pretty, this is a ridiculously crazy example. When we started with these video interviews, believe it or not, the most fascinating thing we saw, and this was a trend, this was multiple people doing these video interviews, tended to be young women recording the video interview, not exaggerating, in the bathtub, staring into the bathroom mirror. Interesting. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So we were like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. They're dressed in their suits, their jackets, like really? all dressed for an so interview, standing in the bathtub, in the bathtub, staring straight into the, into the camera. And We didn't know what was going on, but it happened over and over again. And then the light bulb went on within our company. We're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Here's what it was. I'm I'm talking in generalities here of these, these folks, generally younger female, 
kids. Bathroom was the best lighting in the house or the apartment, usually the apartment. Door shuts, keeps all the noise out. They look fantastic. They're 100% focused. And this is a, a type of candidate we love. We just really? salivate for these people. Yeah, because they have almost no resources. Hmm. And the, the few resources that they have are maximized. They, they are putting themselves in their absolute best foot forward. They are go-getters. They're fantastic. And we've seen this over and over and over again, where those are the types of folks we love to send over to practices because they can take very little and turn it into something fantastic. And they're hungry. They want to, to perform in a, in a new role. A lot of them work in, in positions that, that quite honestly just stink. So getting into a healthcare practice where it's not raining on them, where people aren't screaming at them all day, where, you know, uh, it's a pretty fantastic role for somebody who's coming at it from something that isn't so fantastic. And that's what we saw. So when that's all done, I love that story. This, uh, I, it, wait, that's one of those things that seems to me could easily have gone the other way in the prejudicial screening. Oh like, like these people are all crazy. They're standing in the bathtub, like get rid of them. Like, and you're like, no, no, that's like the best leading indicator. <laughs> we, it's fantastic. And I won't, I won't tell you that we didn't have some strong conversations with some docs about this, yeah. but once there were two clients that we stopped working with because they were categorically against this. Okay. And I'm glad we did. That was something where they just weren't of the mindset that they would be open to that type of candidate coming into their practice. They just thought it was inappropriate doing something like that in a bathtub. Well, we're not, I mean, they're not wearing a swimsuit for crying out loud. They're dressed for an interview. Yeah. And so generally the, when the, when the light goes on for the doc, they think, along the lines that we did, like, wow, this is a terrific candidate. We have to uh, bring them in and talk to them. I love it. That's, a, that's incredible. So the, the end result of this process is that a couple candidates, two or three candidates uh, out of all of the applicants, the best two or three are sent over to the practice. Practice brings them in, talks to them, figures out who's going to be best for that particular practice. And we even have practices that tell us to do the picking. Hmm. And so we send the best candidate over, they talk, they virtually always get hired and off they go. So it all depends on the practice. And it, that entire process starts with a discussion with our team members where we find out in the more, most candid conversation possible what the practice is looking for. Um, and then our team members write the job description and get the entire process rolling. So from, from soup to nuts, our, a practice client of ours can hire a person with uh, a little over an hour's worth of work. Wow. That's how, that's the best it can be is a little over an hour's worth of work. Yeah. I love the process. Cause I mean, it's, it's very clear. It's the volume and the, it's a different mindset in there. But at the same time, I've, I've worked with recruiting firms and that whole process could kind of tease up with, all right, here's the two or three or the one. And, and it's not always perfect. So when you get it wrong, if they ask you to select or if you hand over three and they use one, if and, yeah. and a couple of weeks later, you're like, ah, that didn't work. Why? What did you miss? So first of all, each position is guaranteed for 90 days. So if they leave for any reason, it doesn't matter what it is, we replace the person for free. What we do want to know is feedback as mm -hmm. to why they left. And the, the answer to your question is encapsulated in what I refer to as our feedback loop. So remember, this company does the same thing over and over and over again. It's the same thing. So, you know, in, in eye care, it's equivalent to a refraction. We are 
if you don't get any feedback from people who you do a refraction on that are unhappy with their glasses, it becomes difficult to get better at a refraction. Well, in eye care, you get feedback yeah, <laughs> whether yeah. you want it or not, right? So it's the same with, with our particular process. And we've been able to do this over and over and over again to the point where it's it's almost, uh, well, it's extremely rare that we ever have to use that guarantee. Okay. And again, it's just because we have a, a, an extremely well-defined battle-tested process that performs the same thing over and over again. Okay. So you're getting very close. So like, take me a step back then. What, before you got like near hundred percent, what were the most common things you missed? Adding the video interview was brought in because we had some issues where the folk, the, the person was academically great mm -hmm. on through the assessments. But uh, one person in particular that comes to mind, uh, we sent them over to uh, a candidate sent over to a dentist and the dentist feedback was, you're right. However, they won't succeed in this role. And we said, well, why? They're extremely shy, hmm. which you can't pick up on an assessment. We thought, well, you know, this is interesting, a bit of an oversight. So we, inter we brought in that video interview process to look for, for things like that. And, you know, there's some funny stories that come out of that too. We had a person who did a video interview while driving a car. <laughs> yep. Okay. <laughs> I'm not joking. This was remarkable. You saw a steering wheel, the person holding the, the phone up as they're driving through traffic in a city. And they were, they, part of the, at least part of it was done at a traffic light. <laughs> and we thought, well, congratulations, you know, you meet all our criteria, except for one thing, you're an idiot. <laughs> so you can't, you can't move forward. You, you failed the, I'm an idiot test. Yeah. You know, you got to kill somebody. You idiot. So off they go. So, you know, we've had stories like that. As you can imagine with people, we see everything uh, from one end of the spectrum to another, but it's remarkable how many people start the process, go through to finishing it and really have a lot invested in this and want the position. Making it challenging to get in also brings out the, the A players. You know, they know that if a practice is being this selective with who they're hiring, and they have to jump through all these hoops, it, chances are that the rest of the people on that team are going to be pretty darn good. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you know this as well as I do. A players want to work with A players. They, they tolerate B players on a team, but an A player will quit their job because of a C player. They want nothing to do with those folks. They bring them down. Yeah, they can't accomplish. They can't perform. They just got to get the hell out of that particular position and go find something else. And they will find something else because they're an A player. So that's, you know, that's one of the things that the, the video interview is very rapidly able to remove out of the process. And, and again, that all came from feedback. Yeah, that makes sense. One thing that I, I talk here, hear and talk and suggest is that the, the conventional wisdom in hiring is hire slow, fire fast. The feelings these days is that that gets you you missed your good, your good candidates by being too slow. And it has evolved to being higher, fast, fire, even faster. Uh, how do you, what's your take on that? 100%. You're the first person I've talked to in ages that I agree completely with that on. Usually it's the, you know, we need the board of the directors and the Pope to bless our hiring process after we bring them in for six interviews. Well, no, 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 no. I mean, that's ridiculous. And in the old days, it was a, a couple visits before you, you pulled the trigger on a person. You could get away with that. In our practice, 
we try and make a decision within hours. Okay. And I'm not talking okay. about 24 hours. I'm talking about two to three hours. Okay. The person comes in for an interview. They're either like build my team does all the hiring for our practice, I should say. So we know that this person can do the job when they come in for the interview. Our practice manager, when she's doing the interviewing, she's, I, I didn't mention this earlier. I forgot. Let's say they apply for, for position a, uh, let's say a technician. Um, the interview process for us has evolved to the level where we're not picking them for the, you know, yes, uh, we're going to hire you or not. What we're doing is to see what position they're best for. Right. So in our practice, almost exactly, this is remarkable, but almost exactly 50% of people get hired for a different role than what they applied really? for. Really? Okay. Almost half. And so let's say they apply to be a technician and we might want to add them at front desk or optical or whatever. What Build My Team will do is there's a whole bunch of information under the hood, like not the hood, they, the, our clients will see the tip of the iceberg. There's an entire iceberg that uh, we have in terms of data on the candidate. So our our team members will suggest that maybe this person who applied as a technician, well, we know for sure they'd be a bang up optician. And they'll mention that to the practice. And if the practice, like who doesn't want an optician? Right. I mean, almost everybody does nowadays. So we'll make those types of suggestions to a practice. And the reason it's done that way is the candidates have no clue what they're applying for. They don't know what an optician is right. or what a technician is. Yeah. They don't know what it requires. They're clueless about all this stuff. So instead, we know, for especially for younger people, we know more about them than they know about themselves almost always and what their strengths and talents are. So the long, the best long-term fit for a practice is to put somebody in a position who loves what they do. And if we can move them from a position where they'd be pretty good at to something that they'd be amazing at, chances are they'll stay even longer. And so that's the, the approach that we're taking with an interview at this point. And there's a lot in there. We've covered a lot. And I want to be respectful of your time. And, and we could certainly come back and revisit and dig deeper. But like I said, covered a lot. And I've found it all very valuable. Is there anything you feel like we've missed, at least for this, this first conversation? I think the biggest thing, you know, so much of this sounds overwhelming to a practice. And, you know, learned helplessness is a topic I love to throw out there because in eye care so often it feels like no matter what you do you're just getting beaten down by the hiring process uh, i was there i was the you know that's why i did this all to begin with we tried x we got smacked in the head we tried y we got smacked in the head as a practice it's just one thing after another the the thing is you don't have to go through it all yourself as a doc, you know, as a practice owner, you just don't have to. There's a new way of doing this that is getting amazing results. It's incredibly cost effective and affordable. I would just ask them to consider this, you know, what they've what they've heard on this podcast, that maybe it's worthwhile to give it a shot. Yeah, one of the biggest um, challenges kind, most, of, kind of sticking, starting this conversation, I was like, well, we got to get more at-bats because, because there's more, there's yeah. only there's only a few of these great people, but they're there. But if you don't, you know, if you're, if you're panning for gold, you got to pan through a lot of sand, lots of sand. And so that's the first mm -hmm. obstacle of the mindset. And so, yeah. you know, really the commitment to saying, we got to embrace that. We got to say billions of applicants, because that's usually the first rejecting emotion of anybody who's doing recruiting. Well, the last thing we want is billions because I don't have time for billions. So we got to say, yeah. okay, billions is, is a 
constant. We have to have that. So therefore, how do we respond to that? Sitting there and reading 4,000 emails? Nope, that's not going to do it. We're going to have to screen in a different way, automate this, use some tools, use some things to do that, and making sure that the start of the process is at least doing that. I think it's a major mindset sort of acknowledgement that has to be in the process. And I do think, you know, my challenge to any leadership team is, look, if that's you and you're thinking, well, I don't have time and so I'm not going to do that, well, then you're not the right person. This needs to be in the hands of the person who can figure out how to do this. And if you need help outside your organization, then that's, that's the way to do that. But the, I think the embracing of that is you're not going to find the diamonds in the rough. If you just look around outside your front door for a few minutes, that's not, that's not where they are. Right. right. No, exactly. And you, you hit the nail on the head with the panning for gold concept. Um, you know, it's the old needle in the haystack theory, right? You're not looking for, we're not trying to find the needle in the haystack. We're trying to remove the entire haystack. And the last one left over is the needle you're looking for. You can't do it any other way. Those days are over. And, you know, a practice, it, you know, a, a private practice requires help. You need some help to do the heavy lifting. There's no other way. Like you said, you can't print 4,000 resumes and put them on your desk. Your desk is going to collapse way before you do. You know, you'll never get through all of that stuff. So the good news is that Build My Team exists. It was created for for the, the sole purpose of solving this problem. And we've been able to do that incredibly well. So I, I would just leave that, leave that with the practice to think about. Okay, awesome. Sort of the last big question for you is, what is your passionate plea right now for entrepreneurial healthcare leadership? Oh boy, that's a heck of a question. I I think the the big thing right now that I see with, with private practices is that an average day is getting harder. It's harder this year than it was last year. It was harder last year than it was the year before. You know, being an eye care professional or any healthcare professional, we we have this is a concept of addition and subtraction to pull this out of thin air. We have on an average day, every conceivable organization is adding to our plate. Insurances getting more complex every day, more regulations, more rules, more hoops. I mean, can anybody imagine think of a time when hoops were removed by an insurance company? Mm-hmm. You've got just the other day, I saw that now there's some type of governmental rule where we have to declare ownership of our, our private practices mm-hmm. to the government. That didn't exist the yep. day before yesterday. You know, it wasn't around last year. Just one thing after another that becomes more and more arduous for a private practice owner. And I think that the only way that healthcare leadership can battle back against that is by subtracting. You just have to subtract. You got to look at your average day as a healthcare leader and remove or else your average day is going to continue to creep up longer and longer minute after minute until you don't sleep anymore. Your kids, you know, you grow up and this, these couple strangers living in your house are going to look totally different. Um, You know, you'll be a super successful doctor, but you won't recognize your family and and your passions and your hobbies anymore. So, so my answer to that would be to subtract. Start removing stuff. Uh, remove the stuff that you hate. Uh, if you love hiring, God bless you. Uh, chances are you don't. So this is something easy to remove. Um, remove the things on your plate that you don't like to do and hand them off to team members that are terrific who love to do that. That's one of the strategic coach mantras is to find people who basically love to do what you can't stand and bring them onto your team. Yeah, we didn't really um, even dig into that a lot, but certainly the who, not how mindset. Yeah. really got to teach that, that, you know, 
not only is that a valuable lever for all leaders and managers, it's sort of the opposite mindset that that healthcare is taught all through school. It's like, you know, it's, it's you and only you and it's, and you just got to be better and better. And this idea of delegation and other people's superpowers, that's completely outside of the curriculum. And so it's very, very unnatural. Yeah. And, and that's, that's one of the key points. Boy, we should have hit on that earlier on. You know, you can't be everything to all people as a doctor. And yet as a doctor, so often we feel like we fail if we're not an expert on all global affairs. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, it's an impossibility. You can't do everything in your practice better than your team members can. And as soon as you decide that you want to give it a shot to have those, those folks do things better then you, you make a list of, I mean, this is what happens at strategic coach. You make a list of all of the activities you do during the course of the day. You keep the ones you love doing and you literally get rid of everything else. Yeah. You don't stop doing them, but you have, you hand them off to team members. And so that's really easy advice to give. And the first pushback that a doc will say, well, I don't have anybody to do that. Okay. Call us. We'll get you the people that will do, that will show up for work each day and be excited about taking that stuff off your plate. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about whether or not they're going to do a terrific job of it. They will. You just have to supervise them occasionally. So instead of doing 100% effort to do it yourself, you're going to put in 5 to 10% effort. Guess what you get back? About 90% of your time. Heck of a trade-off, Absolutely. Right? And that's very much where we started the conversation, you know, learning how to expand the, the leadership team's ability to carry their piece of it, you know, letting the practice be run by other people and taking some of that, that burden and hyper-responsibility off of that one person. That's usually you. Well, look, man, i uh, love to continue the conversation. We're at time, though. So how does somebody find you if they want to continue the conversation or just kind of keep up with uh, what you're up to? We'll have details yeah. in the show notes, but some, what's the easiest way to, to find you? Well, buildmyteam.com. That's the, our website. And uh, any practice that that this conversation resonates with and they just want to have a discussion and reach out to our, our team members. Super easy. Schedule a consultation. It's all, you know, we're very intentional, right? So we want to respect everybody's time and, and get getting the practice on with one of our team members on the phone, have a discussion. Uh, if you don't think our team can help you, then that's an easy, uh, easy discussion. Most of what happens is, is our team members are great at listening and figuring, you know, figuring out what these solutions would look like and getting, you know, getting a practice the help they need to get those amazing team members on awesome. on their team. Awesome. Yeah. Great conversation. Very valuable. I think it painted a clear picture of the mindset differences and what has to happen. And, and I, I think it'll be very valuable. It was vi- very valuable for me. And so I appreciate the time well, thanks, Mark. and we'll talk next time. And thank you, Dr. Mike Neal. Thank you so much, Mark. If you found this valuable as a listener, please share this with your, the folks you think would find this useful. It's not helpful if it doesn't make it in the hands of those people who can use it. All of your feedback is always welcome. Using the SpeakPipe link to give us verbal feedback that we can get right back to you on is always helpful. And we love that. And of course, the likes, subscribes and all the things that go with that. And don't forget, of course, if you're stuck, if you're imagining this healthy culture, healthy practice that's fun for you, fun for the people and valuable for your clients and and patients, but don't know where to start, please reach out. Please don't stay stuck. Find some time or get some time with me. Reach out at practicefreedom.com slash schedule and we'll find some time to talk through what that first step could look like for you. And in the meantime, we will see you next time on Practice Freedom with me, Mark Henderson-Leary. Take care.